I step into this pulpit, I step into it trembling. I think that's a good thing, though, but I'll tell you how unworthy I actually feel to be up here every single time. Imagine Game 7 of the World Series, the bullpen is tapped out, and they go to the hot dog vendor to come pitch. Like, that's, I'm the C-squad right now, so bear with me this morning. We're going to have, it's going to be a pretty short sermon. Uh, My knee feels like D-Day right now, so we're going to, we're going to move through this as quickly as possible, so bear with me for the next 20, 30 minutes here. If you would, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. Uh, I'm sorry I had to lug my laptop up here. I tried to print stuff this morning, and my computer wouldn't print, so I have, uh, have this. So bear with me if I have to jump around on this this morning. Um, be in prayer for Lexi and Brandon. Um, Lexi's a great girl. Um, Let's start out, I'll start out by reading and then we'll have a little word of prayer. 1 Timothy 1.12 I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. Thank you. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for, the, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for your truth. I thank you that we can join together and have a desire to interpret and to and to flesh out your words to your bride, the church. Father, I pray that I would just be the vessel in which your word would be delivered this morning, God, and that it would be seared on our hearts. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen. So, if I was to ask you for your testimony, y'all, some of y'all's heads goes where I'm wanting it to go, but some of y'all might go somewhere a little different. I had a family member at my house yesterday who showed up, and just on a whim... He just showed up, so I asked him, I said, hey, what's your testimony? He's not a church-going person. I just wanted to see his response. And when I asked him for his testimony, I kid you not, his response to me was, I'm not a snitch. I'm not telling. <laughs> That's, his mind went to the court of law to tell on somebody, to tell the truth on somebody who had done something bad. His mind, and for some reason that's a bad thing to him, but if I asked you for a testimony, if I was to define it, the definition of testimony in Webster, in the Webster Dictionary is defined as dealings of truth or facts, law evidence, especially orally given in court under oath, evidence testifying to something experienced firsthand. So I read that, and I wanted to define it in a more biblical nature. So I didn't want to define it after the fact, so my own... I took it upon myself to try to define it myself before I got into this study. And the way I, the way I defined it was uh, a person 
who is redeemed by Christ, telling of their life of sin before being saved and of the work of salvation in their lives and how they have changed because of God's mercy and then their furtherance of sanctification. A lot of times when you're talking to believers, we love to tell our testimony and share what God's done for us. But a lot of people, myself included, when we ask someone's testimony, myself included, will ask, if you ask somebody if they're saved, a lot of times we're in Texas, 95% of us are going to say yes, right? So a way that you can test that is to ask them, hey, well, tell me your testimony. If you get the response of, I walked an aisle in youth camp and they're 60 years old, I signed the back of my Bible when I was 12. I said the sinner's prayer that someone led me through. Go ahead and assume to preach them the gospel. That's, that's a test of which that I use and a lot of people use to, to try to see the genu, genuality of, of a belief in somebody. So here, sorry, my computer is acting up. So here in 1 Timothy, we actually see and re, or we actually read Paul's personal testimony as he writes to Timothy. Paul, Paul is one of my heroes in the faith. He, he, he truly is. I always love to learn about men and women who are strong in the face of, adverse, in, of adversity. Paul is just a manly man of Scripture. I mean, that's, that's point blank all I can say. But I think we all, especially guys, have this, have this desire to read and to study and to be like men like that. I mean, we're Texans. You, we remember the Alamo. Why do we remember the Alamo? Because guys stood on a place where they knew they probably weren't going to win and they still stood there. Why do we call the generation that fought World War II the greatest generation? Because they went against adversity and against odds that were stacked against them. Same reason that we look at Paul in this manner, at least I do. When you, when Paul, Paul's role in a lot of people, has a role in a lot of people that I listen to personally. Um, a lot, of, a lot of you know who John MacArthur is. I don't know if you're up to date about what John MacArthur's going through right now in California, but they're trying to shut his church down because of COVID. At the initial COVID coming in, he shut the church down as a precaution and they held church online the way a lot of us did. But upon further data coming out, and they're still and around him they're having riots and concerts and all this other stuff that they're allowing the government is allowing them to have. John MacArthur said, well, we're going to open our church up. And the government of California said, no, you're not. You're shutting it down. It's to the point where they're cutting the electricity off on him. They, uh, they, they have no power a lot of times when they go in. And we're in Texas. Imagine if they cut the power off here two days before church. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of us not showing up, right? I, I can catch it on the app. But they're still showing up faithfully. And one of the things that John MacArthur says he, I, I'm going to summarize this, but he talks about the Apostle Paul being a hero of his in the faith, the way he is with a lot of guys. And he says, I've done a lot. He's been in the ministry. I think he's ministered that church since the early 70s. And he said, I've done a lot of things for the glory of Christ, but one thing I've never done is have a prison ministry. And they're threatening to throw him in jail right now. And he said, let him throw me in jail. I'll have a prison ministry. I have, glory to God for that. So when you look at the Apostle Paul, he's an influencer. He, he gives us a cardinal direction of how we're to face adversity a lot of times. Paul was a man of conviction and resolve that I can't help but respect and to admire. He was, but if you look at his past, he was the Jew-Jew. He was the Jew's Jew. He, he had the best education. He came from the lineage that was respected. He was a brilliant, respected man of the day. Uh, and in Scripture, he says, I count all that as rubbish, as 
translate literally dung as in comparison to what Christ is using for using me for now. And that that comes across as refreshing now because of the rat race of America, of everyone wanting titles and, and the, the, the money that comes with those things. He says, all that is rubbish in comparison to what Christ has now done for me. So getting to hear Paul's testimony is exciting for me, especially being a younger man in the faith. He's writing to Timothy, a younger guy who was discipled by Paul to be a pastor. Um... So when, I, so when I speak of inspiration from Paul, don't mistake, that the, uh, don't mistake when I say that Paul is an influence in my life. I understand where Paul got his drive and his determination from. It was from Christ. Christ gave that man a resolve to serve him that is uncomparable sometimes. So when I talk about Paul, don't negate the fact that Christ is the one that is working through Paul for his purpose. Courage is... Uh, we're, in, we're in a day where... To stand for something will call you. A, will get you outcast. Will cause you to be an outcast. You're a bigot. You're you hate them because you stand against them. And fear is contagious. Fear spreads. Fear is a plague. So if someone runs away from a fight, a lot of times the crowd follows. But courage is also contagious. That's a saying in the military that courage is contagious. So one man going towards a battle will lead a hundred with him because they see the courage of one man. John Calvin said, a dog barks when his master is attacked, and I would be a coward if I saw God's truth attacked and yet would remain silent. And Paul is one man for sure who does not remain silent through Scripture. So looking at the background of 1 Timothy, we, I've been teaching a, a Bible study class on how to study the Bible, and one of the things we have to look at is context. We I always tell them, if you're not reading three chapters back at least and three chapters after what you're studying, you're missing some of the context. And even then, you need to go way deeper to, to understand the true context. So if we look at the background of 1 Timothy, we find Paul getting out of a Roman prison. He has just been released from prison, and he's visiting towns where, he's ministered into, where he has ministered in the past, including Ephesus. He leaves Timothy behind in Ephesus to deal with problems arising in the Ephesian church. He leaves this young man in Ephesus and says, you're going to pastor the church here, even though there's a bunch of things that are coming up that are going to be a fight for you. He shows, uh, it shows you the faith that Paul had in Timothy, that God would use Timothy in great ways. If he's leaving him behind to handle such deep doctrinal issues, some of the things that they're fighting are false doctrines, uh, the way they worship, uh, monetary Longing for monetary resources over spiritual. Those are some of the things that he's leaving Timothy behind to fight. And he starts this letter to Timothy with a greeting the way most, most of the time he does. But as soon as the greeting is over, he dives straight into the law of God. He dives straight into the law and gives a presentation of the law and who the law is for, where he lays out a list of sins saying, these are laws that are broken and the people that commit these sins are breakers of the law and therefore are sinners. And then he dives from there straight into his personal testimony where he says the biggest sinner of all is him if emphasizing that the law was for him also even though he was now an apostle. So he gives out, he gives a greetings to Timothy. Here's the law. It's a list of sins that break this law. That means you're a sinner if you break these laws. And he also says, I'm the biggest one that broke these laws. So he, he throws himself right into the fire here. So if you look at verse 12, it says, I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Here Paul is saying that he is thankful, and I know a lot of you do not like going into original languages and, and fleshing out a single word, but if we look at this word thankful, 
If we look at the, the original context and the original word of it, it comes, I could pr- pronounce this wrong, and it's a simple one, so bear with me, but charis echo. Charis echo, charis echo. It means to rejoice and give. So charis is where we get our word charity from, to give, thankfully giving. And then it's followed by the word echo, and those two are pushed together to give, I'm thankful. But if you look at the original words, he's saying, I am thankful echo continuously. It doesn't stop. Thankfulness is repeating. If I yell down into a well, hello, 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 it continues on. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing that he is thankful for. So Paul starts out by saying he's in a constant state of thankfulness to Christ because he finds strength through Christ to be able to carry out the ministry that God appointed him to do. He's thankful for his redemption, for Timothy still being alive, for Timothy, and also he's thankful for being alive and out of prison, but the emphasis is on thankfulness to be in service to Christ. So if we stop and think, Paul just left prison. He just got out of a prison cell in Rome, and he learns of all the places where he had poured blood, sweat, and tears into the churches to get them established, or actually falling to these false doctrines and straying from truth. He... uh, And while Paul is sitting in a prison cell for preaching the true word that these churches are running from, So if we think of ourselves for a second, a lot of times our thoughts go straight from thankfulness that we are saved and that we are in service to Christ to pity and a woe is me attitude as soon as things get a little bit hard in our lives. We automatically go from I'm thankful that God has chosen me for his service and for his purpose and then as soon as something gets hard, we transfer that to woe is me, this is not what God wants for me, I need to get back to that comfortable realm of living because that's where God wants me is to be comfortable and happy and that's where I'm going to find happiness at instead of finding happiness and being thankful for being in a struggle for the sake of the kingdom of God. I'll confess really quick about my own pity party. Um, Taylor's husband, Ethan, we were, we were coon hunting the other night. And uh, I was telling him, man, I got this paper, all these papers due for college. I've got all this stuff at work going on. And I got kids this and wife and all this stuff is just piling up on me. And then on top of that, I have to preach next Sunday. And he, <laughs> Ethan being the man he is, he don't, I mean, nonchalantly, you get to preach Sunday. Not you have to preach, you get to preach Sunday. Be thankful that you have that problem right now that you're looking at it for. So if you don't have a friend like Ethan who is blunt and will make you feel terrible before he lifts you back up, get one because it's, it's beneficial to you. So, yeah, so I had to repent right there in the woods and I was mad at Ethan for a minute, but I got over it. So Paul's thankful constantly, even through prison and the culture trying to hurt the churches that he had planted for God's glory. So let's read why he is so thankful through all of this. If we read verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul airs out a list of some of his biggest sins for the entire church to read. He's writing to the church for Timothy to read to the church and he airs out a list of all of his sins. He says, I was a blasphemer because he denied the lordship of Christ. He denied him, the, he denied him being the son of God. He, denied, he says that he was a persecutor and an insolent opponent. If we think back to Acts 8, 1 through 13, I'll read it for you. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except, for the, except the apostles. And two devout men buried Stephen and made him great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul, then Saul says that, there, that he was there for the murder of Stephen. And he was imprisoning and killing all those who believed in God's power to save through Christ Jesus going house to house and rounding up believers to kill or imprison. I can almost promise you that no one here in Oakshade Baptist Church has ever had the sin of physically killing and imprisoning Christians for believing in Jesus. But here we see a man with the title of apostle who was doing this, these horrendous things. Why would God use a man who was killing people who believed in Jesus? Why would he take that man and make him an apostle? I'm glad you asked. Because him killing and ravaging the church was God's plan to glorify himself through the saving of Paul. An early church father said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the seed of the church in this time was being watered well. And God used the man spilling, of, spilling that blood for his own glory. Think back to Acts 9 where you have Paul on the road to Damascus. What's he going to Damascus for? He has authority to imprison and kill Christians. He's on the road to Damascus physically walking there to do the physical act of killing and imprisoning Christians. And he has an encounter with the risen Christ. Jesus Christ comes to him on the road to Damascus, knocks him down, blinds him with his, with his holiness and, his, and the light, and knocks him from his feet and says, go to this town and speak with uh, one of my disciples there, Ananias, and he... Ananias is scared to talk to him because he has the reputation of killing Christians. He's like, and God tells Ananias, go talk to Paul. Go talk to Saul. He's scared, but he goes and he tells him, hey, the Lord has a plan to use you. You're a chosen instrument of his purpose and you will learn what it means to suffer greatly for the sake of Christ. So here we have the power of God to save even the worst of sinners shown in Paul. The one who is murdered and something in our heads, it automatically goes to in our, in our flesh and our depravity. We go, if someone murders somebody I care about, they are unforgivable. It automatically goes to. That's the flesh of, the root of our flesh going, they are unforgivable. But here we have God saving the person who is murdering countless numbers of Christians and makes him a vessel for his own glory and purpose. God used his strongest opponent, a man who hated Christ and wanted to kill anyone believing in him. And God took him and made him a tool for his glory and made him one if not the most influential missionaries in modern in history. God not only turned him from his current mission of persecuting Christians, but turned him from his sinful life and replaced a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He showed him grace, even though like he, like, he, like all of us, was completely undeserving of the grace given by, him, given by God. God is merciful, and Paul knows this intimately, and through strength found in his new faith in Christ, wants all the world to know the grace of God and is willing to suffer to accomplish this purpose. We I'm up here talking about Paul who's willing to die and be in prison for the sake of the gospel, and I'm whining about a little leg right now having to stand for 30 minutes. That puts it in perspective for me right there. We hide our sins. Imagine those sins that you don't tell anyone about those deep, dark sins that you hide from even your spouse and your, your closest friends and family, Paul airs them out for the entire church to read. Write your deepest, darkest sins on a letter and send it to the pastor to read in church one morning. That's literally what he's doing here. He's airing out his sin. And Paul has no... Uh, 
We have, but Paul, once he was freed from those sins, from the chains of those sins, wanted everyone to know how bad he was so that in turn, he, that they would see how good God is. Paul had no reason to turn from what he was doing. He didn't recognize that this was sin of him killing Christians. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do in the killing of believers. But once he encountered the living Christ, he could then see how dirty he was in comparison to a holy God. Can you see why Paul is so thankful? It's because God gave him mercy when he was completely undeserving of saving and being put to work for the sake of sharing the gospel. God is saying this to Timothy to show his own needs for God's mercy so that Timothy and the church would not look at Paul, the man, and his accomplishments as a Jew and, as a, uh, and his reason for, as a Jew and see these accomplishments, his worldly accomplishments, as being the reason that he was given the title of apostle and sent on these missionary journeys. God extends grace to whom God chooses to offer grace and mercy to. And it's not on account of what they have done to themselves, have done themselves, but on account of what Christ has done for them. I'm running a little late, so I'm going to have to shorten this up. But he tells the church, look at what all I've done. I'm, I've been, I was schooled in the best schools. I come from the biggest lineage. I am the one that you would expect to be named to a, an office or a higher standing over you. But he's saying all of that is, it, it holds no water. Because look at what else I was doing. Look at my sins. Look at the depravity that I was living in. Look at all the evil deeds that I was doing. And because of Christ, not because of my accomplishments, I am now an apostle and will suffer for the sake of Jesus and will suffer for the sake of the gospel. You think of Paul walking into a town, he doesn't ask how the hotel is. He asks how the prison is because he's going to wind up there or he's going to start a riot. That's literally what's going to happen. So he goes from this level of just awe around Jews to lower than dirt being beat and imprisoned for the sake of Christ. And he's saying it's not because of me, but it's because God chose me to do this for his glory, not my own. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Really quick, it overflowed. Grace overflowed. Grace abounded. Grace was sufficient enough to fill the vessel that used to be full of wrath for Paul. The cup of wrath that should have been poured out on Paul for all of his sinful deeds was overcome by grace and mercy from God because he chose him to be. And because of that, he will go forth and share the gospel and lead others to, to a relationship with God. Verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me, in the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as, patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God's perfect patience. God saved Paul for his own glory. God used the worst of them and saved them for his own glory. And it wasn't, it says in his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God was not standing idly by wishing that Paul would not kill Christians on, for the sake of believing in Christ. That was a plan of salvation in Paul to glorify God that he could take someone that would do the evil deeds that Paul was doing and save him for his own purpose and glory. That was, that was in his own perfect patience and time that Christ allotted. I'm going to skip a few pages here and go right to the end because we're running late. But your personal testimony. Paul is giving his personal testimony here. 
He's saying, look at how bad I was before I met Christ. Now look at what God is using me for. And he's not saying, look at what God gives me. Don't look at what the cars or the money and all this health that I'm getting. He's saying, look at my head busted open and me sleeping in a prison cell because I'm taking the gospel of Jesus Christ forward to the ends of the world so that he may be glorified. That's what he's saying. So we all have a personal testimony to share when it comes to sharing our faith. But listen to me, it's not about you. Your, your personal testimony is not about you. It's about glorifying God. Your personal testimony is a tool to get to the sharing of the gospel with somebody. It's a tool to relate with somebody who may have gone through the same thing so that you can share the word of God with them. We always think of personal testimony has to be this big, dramatic, oh, I used to kick puppies and do all this evil stuff and then God saved me. You might have been the choir child that was singing too loud in church and your biggest sin was stealing a stick of gum or something. Guess what? That's still a sin. You were still in need of a savior and the same God that saved Paul from murdering people is the same God that saved you from those sins. Your testimony is beneficial to the glorifying of God. It's a means of an end to get to the word of God so that they can hear the word of God and hear the truth of God in his gospel. Really quick, you can hurt your own testimony just the way that you can use it for his glory. You can hurt your testimony through speech and actions. What you put on social media can hurt your own personal testimony. And I'm going to preach to myself real quick. Parents, your kids are there all the time. So if you're telling them one thing, hey, live according to Scripture, live how God wants you to live, and then they see you in the home living contrary to that, who are you to tell them not to listen to them people at school when they say Christians are hypocritical and you shouldn't even have to pay attention to that? Guess who's watching you? It's just something, food for thought. It's something that convicted me when I was going through this. So Paul ends his personal testimony by refer, referring back to what he cares about, which is the gospel of Christ. He, he says that God came into the world to save sinners. I was the biggest one. God saved me, and it's for his glory. So just like Paul, I'll wrap this up, and I'll end it with the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world, born a virgin, lived a sinless, spotless life, and went to the cross to die for sinners who were completely undeserving of his mercy and his grace. Each and every one of you, including Paul, myself, that if we should have faith in Jesus Christ, that we will spend eternity with him, that God would see us through the blood of his son shed for our iniquities and not through our own, own doings, because our own doings should give us nothing but wrath. Only through Christ are we saved and redeemed to the Father. So, I'll cut it short there because I know we're running late and we still have communion. But as we partake in the Lord's Supper, don't look at this as juice in a wafer. Look at that as the blood spilled for your personal sins, those deep, dark sins that you hide. That's the blood that was spilled. Do it in remembrance of that, the body that was broken for our sins. Do it when we take that, remember that this morning. Let me pray. Father, I'm so humbled that you could take someone so unworthy and be able to preach your truth through them. God, I am totally, totally unworthy of this, just as I am unworthy of your grace and your mercy, God. But you looked down and saw a sinner and saved me, and you saved a lot of us because you wanted to glorify yourself when we were completely undeserving, that you chose us from the beginning of time, that you predestined us for your glory and for salvation through your Son. God, I pray that as we enter into communion with you, God, that we we remember the blood spilled and the body broken on our behalf on Calvary, that we would be humbled and that your truth and that your 
desire and our desire for you would be just completely engulfed and it would just flow from these walls out into this community and that you would be glorified in a community of darkness, God. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen.